0: number six and seven. The words of the Lord are pure words. And notice he uses the comparative as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. That's considered perfect purity. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I believe referring to the words of the Lord being preserved, being kept for the sake of his people. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin tonight. Father, thank you for Uh, The Word of God that we hold in our hands. Thank you for the reliability of it. And that we can hold it with certainty. We think about and we'll consider this passage here in just a moment. In Proverbs chapter 22, we have been given the certainty of the words of truth. And uh, Lord, we are grateful for that. I pray, though, that we wouldn't just academically cling to uh, the reliability of the preserved Word of God that we have but, God, that we would also live it in obedience. You have gone to great lengths to make sure that uh, your faithfulness is to all generations so that we can live in obedience to you and be pleasing to you and follow you. And as we just sang, know more and more about Jesus. And that's our heart's desire, and I pray that you would strengthen us in that this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. The grand view of God's word, again laying the foundation of these six different aspects of the doctrine of the scriptures before we then begin the overview of the books and the major sections of the Bible. The purpose and the place of all 66 books of the Bible. Over the last couple of weeks, just to do a brief review here, we considered the subject of revelation. This is God's communication about himself and his plan to man. The Bible is not a collection of man's ideas about God. It is God's self-revelation of himself and his plan to mankind. And then inspiration, inspiration meaning God breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16. Inspiration is God's channel through which he guaranteed the accurate transmission of that revelation uh, to mankind. And then uh, three weeks ago, we talked about canonization, Uh, This is the criteria by which Bible books were determined and brought to the completed product of the 66 books. We did not need a church council in the 3rd and the 4th century to tell us what our Bible was. Okay, God gave that information, those criteria, to local churches and believers so that believers had, at the beginning... Of the earth, the end of the first century, when the, the quill was pulled off the parchment and Revelation was completed by the Apostle John under inspiration, believers knew what they had. And God gave them a sense through the Holy Spirit of God and churches a sense through the Holy Spirit uh, that uh, what was the Bible and what was not. Tonight, I want us to consider briefly the subject of preservation. Preservation can be defined as the supernatural work. And let me just tell you, this is key. I use the word supernatural on purpose. Theologians use it on purpose too when they write about bibliology uh, because there are those who claim to be evangelical believers who say that it just kind of happened incidentally in history that the Bible was preserved. And they almost have something of a deist mindset that God kind of wound things up and then let the universe go by itself and that God gave the first copies under inspiration and then just kind of left it to man in history for things to be copied and preserved. The Bible makes it very clear, and I believe among several passages, Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and, 6 and 7, demonstrate that God was specifically involved not just in the inspiration of the Word, but in the preservation of the Word. Okay. So, that you and I could be guaranteed of accurate, reliable copies and translations of the scripture. So, this, it's the supernatural work which demonstrates God's careful concern for the accessibility of His perfect word to all generations. Okay? Not just the original generation, that the, or the, the generations in which the originals were given, whether in Hebrew or in Greek. Uh, those 1,500 years, beginning with Moses and all the way up to the Apostle John, 1,500 years, 40 human penmen, uh, ending with the first century. Uh, if, the originals, uh, were, if the originals were just inspired and, and then copies not preserved, and we're going to see this at the end, then how do we know that what we have is reliable? And so God has preserved His Word in specific ways so that we can be guaranteed... Of accurate and reliable uh, Bibles ourselves. And so, beyond those, uh, the, the, original genera- or the generations in which the inspired were given, the inspired originals were given, preservation helps to guarantee the accurate accessibility of His Word to succeeding generations. From this, really, this answers the question from the parchment to this how did we get it? Do we know that it's reliable? Now, how important is this doctrine? Notice some questions that are left unanswered by uh, what is a fairly typical church doctrinal statement. Okay, Now, what this doctrinal statement says, this typical uh, example of a general church doctrinal statement about the Bible, it's what it, not what it says, but what it doesn't say that raises questions. Everything it says is right, but it leaves some things out that are important, I believe, for us to understand. Notice what it says. We believe God wrote the Bible through men... Without error. Is that good? Sure it is. Okay. The Old and New Testaments in their entirety constitute the written Word of God and are without error in what? Is that true? Yes, it is true. Okay. They were written by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and are therefore fully authoritative. They what? The original manuscripts. Anybody seen a copy of those recently? are you with me okay. we don't have access to the original manuscripts and so what a statement like this, what a statement like this says is true but there are some gaps in it some unanswered questions they were written by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and are therefore fully that is those original manuscripts are fully authoritative in all matters for the follower of Christ that does the first century believer good what about me What about you 21 centuries later? And so, while what it says is true, there are some unanswered uh, aspects to this that need, by the way, in case you want to see this, ours says more than this, all right? Just for the record, okay? Uh, Classic promises on preservation, not inspiration. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is clear on that. There are other passages too. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, those are tremendous passages on inspiration. But we're talking about preservation. That is that supernatural work of God that guarantees for succeeding generations that the copy that they have even through translation and even through copies of the original is watched over by God. So that we are guaranteed that we have a reliable Bible as well. Okay. We've already read Psalm twelve, six and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth. Purified. Notice he's not saying that the words of the Lord needed to be purified. He's using an illustration that will help people understand how pure. A comparative, a simile it's called. Verse number 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That's a great verse, isn't it? His word is settled. No man can destroy it ultimately. But using some Hebrew poetry, Psalm 119 is Hebrew poetry, and the prevailing aspect of Hebrew poetry is what we call parallelism. Parallelism. English poetry is rhyming. Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. Okay? It rhymes. Okay? I just went back to kindergarten to quote some poetry to you. All right? Hebrew poetry is not based on rhyming, it's based on parallelism. I want you to notice something. Okay? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And then what they do is they have parallels between two statements that are put together. Thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is parallel to thy word. Aren't you glad the word is faithful? And it's a reflection to us of the faithfulness of God. So the author under inspiration is using Hebrew parallelism. Thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness, a parallel idea to thy word, is unto... How many generations? All generations. Not just the generation that was living when Psalm 119 was written, but how many generations? All generations. Faithfulness, a synonym of the word of the Lord that is settled in heaven, is available to all generations. Notice, if you would, Isaiah chapter 59... Again, I know the font is small, but I wanted to get all this on here. This will be online if you want to go back and watch it. and You can zoom in on it there. Isaiah 59, verse number 20 uh, to 21. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Verse 21, as for me, this is the Lord speaking. This is my covenant with them, speaking about the nation of Israel saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words, which I have put in thy mouth, talking about the nation of Israel's mouth. He's talking about the process of the giving of Scripture through. uh, You understand that this book, both the Old Testament and most of the New Testament, was written by men who were ethnically what nationality? Jews. Through the nation of Israel. We have the book that we do because of God working through Jewish people. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is predominantly a Jewish book. And so the Lord says, My spirit is upon the nation of Israel. My words which I have put in thy mouth, speaking corporately to the nation of Israel, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, for how long? From Henceforth and... Forever, What does that necessitate? That necessitates the preservation of his words, not just in that Old Testament generation in 700 A.D. to which Isaiah was writing, but to every succeeding generation. And so here is clear testimony, an argument for the preservation of Scripture, working inseparably with inspiration. Inspiration, is it applied to the originals? Preservation guarantees that the product that you and I have... Have has the authority and the accuracy and the availability of the inspired originals, even through copies and even through the work of translation that we have. Okay. Uh, several clear pictures of this. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, chapter 36. I'm not going to read the entire chapter for the sake of time. You can uh, go back and do that. I want you to notice Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah. In the process of his um, interactions with Jehoiakim, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, writes uh, some of the prophecies that are contained in the book of Jeremiah that were to be given to Jehoiakim. He writes those down. Baruch is his scribe. And so Jeremiah has Baruch write down the very words of God under inspiration. Jeremiah 36. And of course, this would have been originally in Hebrew. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write it therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee, against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be, boy, here's a glimpse of the heart of God. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them that they may return every man from his evil way that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. And Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Now, as you read on in the chapter, God has Jeremiah. Write these or, uh, uh Quote these words and then Baruch writes them down. And then Jeremiah has Baruch take the roll of the book that he's written in to some men who were the nobility who had access to Jehoiakim the king. They bring it before Jehoiakim the king. Jehoiakim the king gets angry. He takes a penknife. He cuts up the scroll that Baruch had just recorded from the mouth of Jeremiah. He cuts it up and burns it in a fire. You read about that beginning in verse number 20. Verse number 23. And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves, he, Jehoiakim, cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. The word of God was lost. Wrong answer. (laughs) Nothing of the sort. Notice verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to... Jeremiah, after that the king had burned the roll, and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll. And write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim the king of Judah hath burned, And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come? And so on. And he pronounces more judgment. Notice verse number 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And then this significant statement. And there were added besides into them many like words. And so a tremendous picture of the original giving and that it's not lost, okay? Matthew chapter 4, as we think about the authority of the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 4, a parallel account. The Lord Jesus Christ, wilderness temptation, three times to combat the temptation of the devil. He said, it is what? Written, it is written. And he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, it is written, it is written. written. The tense of the verb that Jesus used is very significant. He said it this way, it stands written. In other words, Scripture that had been written 1,400 years before Jesus lived, Jesus said it stands written. It is just as authoritative, it is just as accessible, it is just as available to me today. 1,400 years after Moses first wrote it, it is just as available to me today. Just as authoritative, 1,400 years later. And all of that in the tense of that verb, it stands written. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 18, Luke chapter 16, and verse number 17, Though heaven and earth shall pass away, Jesus said not one, what? Jot or tittle shall in any pa- wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. The, the yo, the, the, the jot, the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The tittle, a little flag that distinguished one letter from another in the Hebrew alphabet. And the Lord said very clearly, and by the way, he is the giver of the law. And he is testifying to the fact that it will stand And heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will not pass away until it's all fulfilled. What does that require? That requires the preservation, the supernatural preservation of God's Word. Look, if you would, at Luke chapter 16. This is interesting. Luke chapter 16. And we'll consider these passages and then draw a few conclusions and go to prayer. Luke chapter 16. This is the account of the rich man in hell... You remember in Luke chapter 16, he begs Father Abraham from hell in the torment that he's experiencing to send Lazarus to go to his brothers and warn them so that they wouldn't come to that place of torment. Verse number 27, Luke 16. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father. That thou wouldest send him to my father's house, speaking of Lazarus, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Verse number 29, Abraham said unto him, they have, what? Moses. Moses and the prophets. He's not so much talking about people as he is the giving of the Old Testament scripture. They have the Pentateuch, and they have the prophets, which was a generic term taking in the rest of the Old Testament. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them what? Hear them? Now, what does that necessitate? That necessitates that even though the Old Testament canon had been closed, by the time Jesus said this, it had been closed for 400 years with Malachi's prophecy. Okay? From 1,400 to four hundred, 1,000 years where the Old Testament Scripture was given... But here in the first century, Jesus is given testimony in this story of Lazarus dying, being in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man wanting someone to go tell his brothers not to come to this place. In the first century, it's testifying not just of the original giving of the Old Testament, but that it was preserved and available so that those five brothers could have access to it in the first century A.D. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Boy, what does that tell you about the power of the word? Think about that. How powerful is the preserved word of God? Jesus, in telling this story through the lips of Abraham, Jesus is saying this, that the preserved word of God is more powerful in a sense than if somebody rose from the dead, if Lazarus rose from the dead and went and witnessed to these five brothers. That's how important the copy of the book that you hold in your lap tonight is. Amen. Okay. Boy, let us never become commonplace with this blessed old book that we hold in our hands. Okay. and He said unto them, Are unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. I'll just briefly mention these three passages in John and uh, then the 2nd Timothy passage, John 5, 38 and 39. Jesus is in a discussion with the the, uh, scribes, and uh, they're testifying about their belief in the scriptures. And he said unto them, He said, He said, uh, Search the scriptures. In them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He's saying, if you go back to the Old Testament Scriptures, you'll find if you truly understand the Old Testament Scriptures, which you think are giving you life, that they testify of me. They anticipate my coming. That speaks to the availability of God's Word, the purpose of the Scriptures. John chapter 10, verse number 35, The Scripture cannot be broken. And then John chapter 12, verses 47 to 50, Jesus said that it's not really Him or His Father that judges, it is the Word that judges in the final day. In other words, our eternal accountability at the judgment of God is based on what we do with this book right here. 2 okay. Timothy 3, 15 through 17. Let me show you this one, and then we'll look at a few conclusions uh, tonight before we finish. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Of course, this is a classic passage on inspiration, and it really testifies, because here's what some people will say, okay? Some people will say this, well, the copies, you really can't call the copies, it's really not technically correct to call our King James Version 1769. That's another thing we could talk about, okay? This is the 1769 edition, okay? It's really not right to call this the inspired word of God. Let me just tell you something. I have no problem, based on what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, saying that my King James Version is the inspired word of God. I have no problem with me. That doesn't ruffle my feathers at all. I don't have to feel like I'm overstepping a boundary. You say, Pastor, how is that? Notice if you would, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Actually, let's begin with verse number 15. Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this, And that from a child thou hast known, what? The Holy Scriptures. Now, Paul used a very specific technical term, okay, in the original. The idea here is this. That from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. It literally, the word means the temple manuscripts. Okay? Paul is referring to faithfully preserved copies of the Scripture that would have been at the temple or the synagogue where Timothy would have worshipped with his mama when he was a boy. Timothy had no access to the originals. But he's referring to faithfully preserved copies. And Paul tells Timothy, From a child thou hast known, you've interacted with, you've had access with those faithful copies of God's word. When mama would take you to the synagogue in Lystra okay and they had the ability to do what make you wise unto salvation that's how powerful those preserved copies of the scriptures were okay and by the way Timothy didn't have a new testament either what does that tell you about the power of the old testament okay and that from a child that's known the holy scriptures so he's talking about preserved copies "...which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." How much Scripture? All Scripture. I believe based on the context, Paul is not just including the inspired originals, but the faithfully preserved copies. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." Because of preservation, get this, the impact, the power of inspiration is passed on so that you and I, based on the scripture, you and I can say with confidence that this is not some inferior form of the Bible. Okay. I have no trouble saying, though it's not the original. Okay? We've gone through the Hebrew and the Greek to the faithful translation of the English or into the English but based on what God says about inspiration and preservation I can have full confidence in this book that I hold my hands okay. some guaranteed conclusions for succeeding generations by the way let me just say this some of you maybe heard the term Ruckmanite okay, coming from a man named Peter Ruckman Peter Ruckman this is I'm going to say this with full confidence Peter Ruckman was a heretic. Okay. He said about God's word and it made expectations of God's word that God never made. He believed that God breathed again in 1611. Brand new. In such a way that the originals were done away with or the need of the originals was he said the English corrected the Greek. Okay. That's heresy. Okay, and there were other things about Peter Ruckman will not go into the laundry list tonight. Okay, but so so it's an extreme on that side that we're avoiding. Okay, whichever side you want to do, right, left, crazy, off the wall, out of our orbit, whatever. Okay. By the way, let me just say this is not a pet peeve necessarily, and I want to have a good spirit about this. But when you see somebody always talking about the KJV 1611, I have one in my library. And it's hard to read. We have, just to be technical about it, we have the KJV 1769 okay. that, that came along after the 1611. We are not KJV because of the, any kind of connection with the, the Church of England and the KJV translators. Okay, we are King James Version here because of the underlying texts, okay, that fulfill the promise of preservation that God gives in His Word. Okay, so here are some, and I'll bring this out a little bit more, I'm getting ahead of myself. Some guaranteed conclusions from succeeding generations, based on some of the, for succeeding generations, based on some of the scriptures we just considered, okay. The Bible gives the guarantee of itself. It gives the assurance that the word cannot be lost. His word is settled in heaven. A Jehoiakim can cut it up and burn it in the fire. That doesn't mean it's lost. Okay. We're guaranteed of accurate transmission through the hands of reverent men. Doesn't mean they're inspired in the same way the original authors were, but God is overseeing the faithful copying and transmission of his word. It is accessible to all generations with the same authority that it was originally given. Jesus said that himself. It is written, it is written, it is written, it stands written. 1,400 years after Moses had written Deuteronomy. okay. It is authoritative for life. And it is the basis of accountability on Judgment Day, John chapter 12. okay. Uh, Confidence and preservation. History corroborates God's promise. Faithful believers exercising spiritual discernment and biblical reverence have been used by God to disseminate accurate copies and translations of God's Word from the inspired originals. Proverbs chapter 22. Uh, I'm going to... just i 'll let you look this up on your own for the sake of time proverbs twenty two seventeen to twenty one Solomon speaks of the certainty of the words of truth being passed on to succeeding generations versus what uh, we like to call the buried Bible view. Okay? There are two main families in, the, in particular Greek manuscripts, okay uh, nearly five thousand of those just what, actually about forty two hundred of those are pretty much within 99% agreement. It's the Textus Receptus line of Greek texts from which our King James Version New Testament is translated. Okay, most modern versions, though, in their New Testament are translated from the basic foundation of two uh, Greek texts, one found in a trash can in a monastery at the base of Mount Sinai, and the other kept in cold storage <laughs> somewhere in the Vatican that when those two are compared, they're the basis of, of the New Testament of most every modern English version. Okay, When those two are compared, they're called the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus. When they are compared, there are over 3,000 differences between the two. And yet, they're the basis, for the translation of the New Testament of many of the modern versions today. Uh, Dean Bergon, who was a Bible scholar in the, ninth, or late, in the eight, late 1800s, said that it was... Often easier to find two verses together that didn't agree than that did agree in those two manuscripts. And uh, so, anyway, all that to say, you know, what did God promise us about his word? Accuracy. Okay, not disagreement like that. And, uh, and furthermore, those two manuscripts in particular were out of circulation for centuries. There's a reason they were still in good shape after they had been in existence for centuries. It's because they hadn't been used. When, when, get this, when Sinaiticus was found and studied in special light by experts, it was found that in the centuries that it had been in existence, and basically out of circulation because God's people knew... That it had been doctored, and they knew of its inaccuracies and discarded it, and it was being kept as a relic in that uh, monastery at the base of Mount Sinai. It was studied and found to have been doctored, altered, and corrected in significant ways at least seven times. Okay. And yet, those two texts become the basis for the, the English translation of most of the modern versions in the New Testament. okay, That's another reason. That's another reason we're going to stick with the King James Version. okay. And boy, there's much more we could talk about with that. Is faith necessary? Yes. But is that bad? By the way, one of the... Accusations that critics use is that when they talk about Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, they call them the oldest manuscripts and the best because they're in such good shape. Let me ask you a question: When you really use a book or Bible, does it stay in good shape? No. You use it till you wear it out, and it goes out of existence, so to speak. You get a new one. Okay. To me, it's a very simple explanation of what happened to a lot of those ancient copies from which our King James Version is translated. Have we been given biblical parameters to measure which manuscripts, texts, copies, and translations best fulfill God's promise to preserve His Word? Yes, as you think about God's promise that His Word would be available to how many generations? All. Not out of circulation for hundreds and hundreds of years, okay, but available, accurate, authoritative, accessible, and so on. Okay? If so, then, if God's promised, yes, which manuscripts, texts, copies, and translations fulfill that promise? Here's a picture taken from a page written by a man some of us know, Dr. Charles Sorette. You can see, and I'm about out of time here. Um, you can see the two columns here. This is the Westcott and Hort, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. Most modern versions come from them, very few copies. A total of 400 manuscripts have been found. And then the TR tradition, the Textus Receptus, literally meaning the received text, okay? And you can see uh, all the different thousands of copies that have been found, approximately 5,250 manuscripts found that are in in, uh, clear agreement, okay, almost perfect agreement. You can see here the names of Erasmus, Stephanus, Beza, King James Version, the Elzevir brothers, Uh, This is another conversation right there. The New King James Version professes to be translated from it, but there are some other influences which I believe discredit the New King James Version. Okay, That's another conversation. This really just shows you two two different lines of of ancient manuscripts and the King James Version coming from the one that that, uh, fulfills God's promises as it relates to uh, preservation. Here's a final summarizing quote, and then we'll go to prayer. Dr. Sarett, logic demands the preservation of scriptures. Verbal inspiration would fully, and I think notice what he's saying here, verbal inspiration would fully benefit only the generation which originally received it if there were not verbal preservation of that which is inspired. Okay? The inspiration of the originals would only benefit that original generation. Unless the Bible clearly taught and God had in place preservation, okay? To guarantee the power, the impact of those originals, his faithfulness to how many generations? All generations, okay? If a man is accountable to God for every word of the Bible, then a just God must make available to mankind every word for which man is accountable. And I say he has. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your word tonight, Lord. I know there may be questions, and I'd be glad to have conversation. We didn't have time for Q and A Q&A tonight, but Lord, I pray that uh, the the goal of this session tonight on the subject of preservation would be that we would be able to leave here with a deepened and a secured, further secured confidence in the book that we hold in our hands. I'm grateful to you for what we have that it fulfills the promises of Scripture of itself. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.